I invite everyone to open their Bibles and turn with me to this morning's scripture reading. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, reading verses 47 through 50. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. It's a blessing to be together. We're thankful for those who have come out and be with us. We have some who are visiting with us. We're especially grateful that you have chosen to come and to worship with us. We are encouraged by your presence here. We hope that you are edified and strengthened as a result of our time together this morning. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning in your New Testaments to the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 26 and our reading that we just heard a moment ago. In Matthew chapter 26, we will be looking at some verses there in that chapter in just a moment. Just before we get uh, started, I have a personal comment or two that I would like to make. Uh, I am going to be leaving town this afternoon or right after services, just however long I decide to preach, I guess. And that's after that, I'll be uh, hitting the road soon after. I'm going to be going to Athens, Alabama to spend the week down there, um, speaking down there on Thursday morning. And so I uh, would appreciate your prayers and petitions uh, on my behalf as I travel. Also, Kristen and the boys, they went down there on their way to Louisiana uh, for her to visit her family down there. And so certainly would appreciate prayers on their behalf as well. Also this evening, uh, Jonah LaRue is going to be preaching, and so uh, come out and support him and listen to what he has to bring to us from God's Word. I will be listening on the, on, uh, the website later on this week, and so I, I know that he will do a fine job. I'm looking forward to uh, learning and sitting at his feet this afternoon, and I hope you do as well. When you think about sin, some sins are easy enough to forgive. I've known husbands, for instance, who sinned against their wife. Maybe they lied to a spouse and a wife who has graciously shown forgiveness to her husband. But then we think of some sins that seem nearly unforgivable. Betrayal, deceit, manipulation. Those kinds of sins seem to strike against everything, the very core and foundation of our relationships and everything that we seem to think about what we know about a person. And Jesus experienced betrayal at the hand 
of Judas. As we just heard in our reading in Matthew chapter 27, when Judas came up to Jesus and kissed him. And Jesus said, friend, do what you have come for. And Jesus was then handed over to the Roman soldiers. Jesus experienced betrayal at the hands of someone that he called his friend. That is one of those things that seems almost unforgivable. No one in Scripture is more infamous than Judas Iscariot. And from the moment we read of his name in Scripture, we read that he is the one who betrays him. Turning back to the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 4, when Matthew is first uh, naming all the, the twelve, in verse 4 he says, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. So as Matthew writes this some years later, after all these events happened, he can't help but insert that Judas, he is the one who betrayed Jesus. From the outset, we get that. That Judas is the one who handed over Jesus. Judas is the villain of the story, right? Every good hero has a villain. Batman has Joker, Superman has Lex Luthor, Harry Potter has he who shall not be named, or Voldemort. Frodo has Sauron, Luke Skywalker has Darth Vader. There are villains to every good heroic story. And Judas is that villain in the story of Jesus. However, what we figure out is that Judas was really just a normal man in many ways. He had weaknesses that other normal people suffer. He had temptations that we all face. He made a choice, however, to betray his friend and master and teacher. But his choice is not so different than many of us make. We are presented with the same choice. Are we going to serve Jesus or are we going to desert Him? Are we going to follow our Lord and Savior? Or are we going to betray Him and leave Him? Judas gives us a glimpse into what it is to be a turncoat, a betrayer, someone who forsakes the Lord, a disciple gone rogue. And if you've ever wondered what led Judas to betray Jesus, then I think the Bible provides some answers for us. Because this is not just an isolated problem. It's not that Judas just woke up one day and decided to betray his teacher that he had had for three and a half years. That this is a problem that Judas had within his heart. And I would submit that it is also a problem that many of us can also have if we are not 
careful. In Matthew chapter 26, as we read about Judas betraying Jesus, just moments earlier in Matthew the 26th chapter, in Matthew chapter 26, we are introduced to a woman who comes and worships Jesus. At verse 6 of Matthew the 26th chapter, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? She has, for she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I like the, Matthew's account of this occasion. You can read about it in other gospel accounts. But Matthew has this nameless woman who comes and offers her gift to Jesus. This very costly perfume. This oil, this ointment that he, she brings and just selflessly gives it to Jesus to prepare Him as an act of honor and praise to Jesus. This is an act of worship. That she does. And Jesus praises this woman and recognizes her for her selfless deed in giving him a costly gift. Saying that her selfless love and devotion would be spoken about wherever the gospel is preached. Because of her obedience and her honor and giving it to Jesus and her selflessness. That's a demonstration of what the gospel requires of us. I think that's why Jesus says that she will be named wherever the gospel is preached. And yet, I want you to notice in verse 8, it says, But the disciples, plural, more than one of them, were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? If you go to the Gospel of John, in John chapter 12, and you can read about the same account, and you see that John says that it was Judas in particular who was angered by this. That Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? That it's Judas who is, seems to be behind this. And he's the one who is upset and indignant that this costly perfume, it could have been sold. Look at all that it could have done. And yet we're giving it to Jesus. Why? And when you go back to Matthew 26 and verse 8, and you see that the question that he and some of the other disciples were asking, why this waste? Can you imagine? You have Jesus before you. And this woman comes and offers her very costly gift. Bowing down and humiliating herself. 
honoring Jesus. The one who is about to die for all of our sins. And you say, why this waste whenever he is being worshipped? Judas was not genuine in his concern about the poor. He was a greedy thief. But being indignant about the act of worship and deeming it as wasteful, you might say, well, that could have, there might have been some better things that we could have done. But to dignify this act of worship as wasteful, that indicates a lot about his heart, doesn't it? And he perceived giving honor and glory to Jesus as a waste of time, as a wasted sacrifice. And you have to begin to wonder are there times where we as Christians might have the same heart problem? Where we think, oh, I don't need to go to services tonight, that's a waste of time. I have other things I need to be doing. I have other chores and responsibilities at home or at work that I really need to be doing. Worship is just going to take too much time out of my life and out of my schedule. It's too costly to do and to give up my time, that precious commodity, time. Do we have the same heart problem as Judas, yes, worship and giving to Jesus is costly. Judas was indignant that this woman would give costly oil to Jesus. But if we are tempted to say it's just too much time, I can't make it to worship services on Wednesday night. It's just, I, I have so much other stuff I need to do. And I would submit that we have a similar problem. Because to worship God with our brethren, it means we may have to give one of the most precious commodities that we have. Our time. But that is what Jesus demands. That's what the Gospel requires. That's why Jesus said that what this woman has done will be spoken about wherever the Gospel is preached. Or maybe we just don't see any benefit of putting money in the collection plate as it passes. It's something we do all the time. Why should I have to put in money? Why is that something that God would require of me? Isn't it just a waste for us to give our money to the Lord's church? That's sometimes how people think. That's how Judas thought. He perceived worship to God, something where you honored Jesus as a waste. And I think that indicates a lot about his character and his heart. But I also want you to think about how we can be very quick to villainize Judas. And I'm not trying to get him off the hook. Don't, don't. Misunderstand me. But just in pictures, if you do like a Google search, 
This is sometimes how we think of Judas. We make him look really, really ugly. We make him look like he's mischievous. We make him look really bad. Like he's up to no good. But then someone like how we oftentimes might depict Peter, for instance. We make him look noble. We make him look wise. We make him look as if he is a natural born disciple of Jesus. Don't we? And you think about that. That Judas did not get to the point in Matthew chapter 26 whenever we see him betraying Jesus or even whenever he is so indignant at the woman who worships Jesus. He did not get to that point overnight. He spent three and a half years with Jesus and the other apostles. I can imagine that he probably looked a lot more like this. And he looked a lot more normal than what we sometimes depict in pictures. Because Jesus chose him as an apostle. In Matthew chapter 10, you can read in verses 4 through 8 that he is chosen as an apostle. Jesus sent him and the other apostles out to preach the gospel to the lost sheep of Israel. Judas preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Judas performed miracles. Even in the moments leading up to the betrayal of Jesus, in the Last Supper, when Jesus, on the Passover, When Jesus said that one of you is going to betray me, all the apostles are looking around and they're like, it's not going to be me, it's not going to be me, is it? They did not point the finger at Judas and say, it's got to be him. They didn't do that. Because I think Judas looked like the rest of them. Some of the same problems that Judas had were shared with the other apostles. As we read in Matthew 26 and verse 8, that it was the disciples, plural, who were indignant. It wasn't Judas alone who was indignant at the woman. He didn't look all that different from others. The scary thing is, though, he can sometimes look like us, or we look like him. Average guys and gals. Even the men that Jesus chose are susceptible to the power of sin. In John's account of this instance, when... Judas was angered by this woman's act of worship to Jesus. In John chapter 12 and in verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? And then John, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, you can see that the disciples, they don't have any respect for Judas. 
as they even years later are writing about Judas because they say in verse 6, they add a little bit of commentary. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. That Judas was a thief. He gave into the power of sin. I've known many preachers of the gospel, elders in the local church, deacons, Christians of various ability, of various amounts of influence, who have given in to just the corrupting power of one sin and they've ruined their lives because of it. Because we are all susceptible to temptation and sin. Any disciple of Jesus is susceptible to compromise. And that's the lesson that we learn from Judas. We see the corrupting power of just one sin. In Luke's account, in Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, And in verse 3, it says, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. It's interesting that there, it says that Satan entered into Judas. You know, Judas had left the door cracked open enough for Satan to come busting through there. He is greedy. He sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The corrupting power of just one sin can lead you to betray Jesus. We need to take the warnings found in Scripture seriously. Whenever we have one temptation that we are being bombarded with, when Satan is pounding at the door and he's trying to bust into our lives to ruin them. Notice in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain is about to kill Abel, his brother, in Genesis chapter 4, this is the Lord God speaking to Cain. And He says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Judas didn't master the temptation that was at his doorstep. We all face temptation. We all have our struggles. But whatever that temptation that we may have and that we may be facing, we need to defeat it. We have to close the door. We can't leave it cracked open enough. 
for Satan to come into our life. We need to take the warning that's found in the book of James, in James chapter 4 and verse 7. We need to take it very seriously. Whenever James says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to flee temptation. We need to flee from Satan. When you turn back to Luke chapter 22, in Luke chapter 22, we see that Satan entered into Judas, one of the twelve. But you continue on reading. Down in verse 31, when Jesus is talking with Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Judas and Peter, they're not that different, are they? I will tell you where they are different. Peter repented. We may give in to temptation. We may sin against God. We may sin against our Lord. And if you do, repent. Confess your sin. Come back to Christ. Just as Jesus says, I prayed that your faith may not fail. But then notice what he says after that. He says, and you, when once you have turned again, I think Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do, that he was going to deny him as he, as he said. But he said he knew, he knew he was going to come back. That's how Peter is, isn't he? Sometimes we face difficult situations where People forsake the Lord and leave. Peter came back even after denying Jesus. Judas did not. He could not overcome the guilt. He went out and hanged himself. Sometimes we face difficult situations. We know of people who are both disciples and followers of Jesus. And they both, or one might leave the Lord and come back, and another might leave and be gone. And we start wondering, what could I have done? Could I have done more? You think about Judas, he had the best example. He had the best preaching and teaching. He witnessed the greatest of miracles. And he still sinned. He still betrayed Jesus. 
So when parents, maybe you have a child that leaves the Lord, becomes unfaithful, and you start thinking, what should I have done? I should have done more. And you start wondering, what did we do wrong? What more could we have done? Did we fail in our teaching? Should we have provided a different environment for him or for her? Listen, you could provide the very best of environments. Something that Judas had, by the way. And it can still go poorly. Because God does not force people to follow Him. God gives people the free moral choice to do His will or to disobey. And the one thing that you cannot do and something that even God will not do is change the human heart against its will. That's why we have to be so proactive when we are facing temptation. We need to reach out to someone. We need to talk to our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We need to lean on each other. Because the corrupting power of one sin can cost us everything. And then finally, we see that Judas accepted Jesus as teacher, but not as Lord. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, in the Gospel of John in the 13th chapter, Jesus, as He is celebrating the Passover, as He institutes the Lord's Supper, we read about Him washing the disciples' feet. And in that discussion, Jesus indicates that there's going to be someone who would betray him that very night. As he's talking about not just washing feet, but being cleansed and being free from the corruptive power of sin. He says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, that is Peter, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus knew. But then Jesus continues on. It says in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I find it interesting that here Jesus says that he is their teacher and their Lord. That he is their Lord and their teacher. He reverses the order. In the very next verse, in verse 14. But I want you to notice something. In Matthew chapter 26, when Judas approaches Jesus to betray him, or just before that, 
Just before that, actually at the same time, at the Passover observance, after Jesus has predicted that someone's going to betray him, notice what Judas says in verse 25, and Judas, who is betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. And then when Judas approaches Jesus in verse 49, immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. Judas was entirely comfortable with accepting Jesus as his rabbi, as his teacher. He was unwilling to accept Jesus as Lord and There's a huge difference. There's many people who might recognize Jesus as a good teacher who has full of wisdom, and yet they will not give their life in obedience to follow Jesus because they don't accept Him as their Lord, as their King, as the one who has complete command of their life. Judas was willing to go part of the way with Jesus, but not all of the way. And discipleship, true discipleship, requires that we accept Jesus as both Lord and teacher. And if Jesus is Lord of our lives, then it means that we must be loyal to Him, that we can't betray Him. And we have to follow His example. We have to practice His teachings, and we have to trust in His grace and salvation. And I can only imagine how the words must have stung Judas as he approaches Jesus and he says, Hail, Rabbi, and he kisses him. And then Jesus calls him his friend. When Judas was being everything but Jesus' friend. Judas was not a true friend to Jesus. Jesus was the true friend to Judas because Jesus gave his life for the sins of the whole world. Even Judas's, even Judas's betrayal, Jesus died for him because Jesus loved Judas. If only Judas had accepted Jesus as Lord as well as his teacher and his friend. And he would have trusted in the power of grace and forgiveness. And yet, what it is that happens to Judas, Judas felt remorse. He took the 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priests and the elders and he threw them, threw it back. And he went away and hanged himself. He felt remorse. He felt sorrow. But it was not a sorrow of a godly sort. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 10, Paul writes, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Judas did not have a godly sorrow that would lead to repentance. He had a worldly sorrow that only led to death. Because he did not see grace and forgiveness as a possibility. He did not see that Jesus gave his life for his sins. Because he did not accept Jesus as his Lord. And when we sin, and we are utterly shattered before God, and when we can hardly live with ourselves for the choices that we have made, when the pain and the guilt is so awful and we just want it to go away, don't be like Judas. Trust in God's grace and the power of Christ's sacrifice that makes forgiveness possible. When you feel so enslaved to alcohol, come to see Jesus' lordship. Accept Jesus as Lord of your life, and you'll learn about His grace. When you are neck deep in pornography, Believe in the power of forgiveness. When you have committed adultery and have been unfaithful to your spouse, see there is power and grace that is available to you. When you have lied to others, when you have been deceitful, when you have manipulated others, there is power, there is grace, there is forgiveness. When you are broken and when you are defeated, do not make the same mistake that Judas did. Come back to your Lord and teacher. Because He is ready to receive you back as His friend. Don't die separated from Christ. Don't die without coming back to the Lord. Because as if you don't return to Christ and you die in that condition, then you will be turned away from the gates of heaven. Jesus Himself said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father who is in heaven will enter. This morning, if you are broken, if you realize that you have sinned greatly before God in Christ, We plead with you, come back.
come back to the Lord. Jesus died for you and for your sins. He wants you to come to Him. He gave His life for your sins. Even for your sin of betrayal and abandonment. If you need to receive God's mercy and grace, and if you need to find salvation, come to Christ this morning before it's too late. If we can help you that with that decision, will you let it be known as we stand?